It's written in John chapter 14 and verse 15. Our Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if you don't, does that mean you can't or you don't have to? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it's directed at those who claim to love him. In John 14, in verse 21, it is written, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's what he said. If we love him, keep his commandments, those who have his commandments and keep them, they are the ones who love him. So it's kind of full circle. There's no real way out of that. There's no wiggle room. There's no way to say, well, what he really meant was, no, it just is really plain. And so often, his teachings are exactly that, plain. Now, yes, he did use metaphors, and he did use similes, and he did use parables, and he he used many different means of teaching. But sometimes he was just as direct as he could possibly be. If you love me keep my commandments. And not only that, if you keep His commandments, it reveals that you love Him. He said He'll manifest Himself to those who love Him. And then we read on there in verse 22 of John chapter 14, Judas, not Iscariot, another Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. In other words, how's this going to work? Because we love you. How are you going to manifest yourself to us, but not to everybody else? And our Lord answered, and He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now, that almost sounds redundant, doesn't it? Because He already said that. He said, if anyone loves me, they will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And the word him there means male or female, so sometimes I will interject that or insert it there, whatever, however you say that. Excuse me. And we will come to him and make our home with him. With. Within. The kingdom of God is where? Within us. And He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And there is the message. We can thank God. And I know this is not a traditional Thanksgiving message. I'm not going to tell you about pilgrims and Indians and all the kind of stuff that you've heard all your lives. Thank God that He comes and manifests Himself to His people. There is something to praise Him about, folks. There is something to thank Him for. Give thanks to God for manifesting Himself, for bringing Himself into His people. You, each of you, individually and collectively, are the temple of the living God. That's what His Word says. Now, in John chapter 15, in verse 14, we hear him say it again. It's a little further along in John's gospel record. You are my friends 
if you do whatever I command you. And so it's very clear that he meant what he said. He wasn't just saying it to say something. He meant, if you keep his commandments, you are his friends, you are his people, you love him, and he will come to you. These things were written by the Apostle John. And who was John? What does the Scripture tell us about John? John was the beloved disciple. He was the one that the Lord allowed to live into his 90s. Of course, he was in prison, but he got to stay alive on the earth, and he got to witness to people the teachings of Christ. John was no doubt the one that was closest to our Lord. And he was as much of a true insider as anyone could possibly be. If you think about it in those terms. So we can trust his writings to be accurate. We can trust that what he recorded is what our Lord wants us to know. And he gives us the true intent of our Lord's teaching. Christ's way of following him is different from what many teach today. There's many that teach religion as the way to follow Christ. That's not what he taught, but that's what they teach. I was raised in a religion that taught me to follow religion, to follow Christ. I don't beat the religion up. It's just I know it's not the way that he taught. Christ's way of following him is not being taught as widely as it needs to be today. And in that way, there are those that are proclaiming Christ who are misleading people. Because they're not leading them to do what He said. And so if they're not leading Him, excuse me, them, to follow Him, where are they leading those people? Not where He went, necessarily. Now, some get it. They get it by studying the Word themselves. They get it by reading the Scriptures. And so the religion, that whole model of religion that comes down on people, is not stopping them from following the one that we call Jesus. They're following Him, and they find Him in the Scriptures. And He said, you read the Scriptures, and in them you seek eternal life, and these are they which speak of Me. If we want to get where we are united with Him, then we need to follow Him and do what He said. If you love me, anybody, keep my commandments. That's what He said. Okay. So you all got that. Last week we learned of the gates made of pearls, the streets paved with gold, foundations made with every type and and color of gemstone and precious stones. And we learned of all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages being present and standing before Almighty God, the throne of God and His Christ. This is what it's like there. So we're, we're kind of revisiting that today. I want to just kind of recap some of the things that we looked at last week, and then I want to bring in that, the big picture. As I kind of alluded to with the boys, is God is love. There will be an uncountable number of people there, an innumerable, it says in the Scriptures, innumerable number of people. And 
angels, all worshiping God together. And everything will be pure. Nothing that offends our Creator will be present. We can't even imagine what that will be like because our world, this world that we live in, it's not really our world, I shouldn't say it that way, this world that we live in is impure. Sin entered the world, and by sin, death. And through Christ came life, and that life is everlasting. There will be nothing that offends our Creator. We also learn that Christ our Lord has prepared a dwelling place for those who follow Him, that where He is, we will be also. And there are those that translate that as mansions, and we looked at the root word of that, and it is, in fact, a dwelling place, a room, a space. He's going to have room for all of us. It's not going to be like, okay, sorry, the gates are closed, you're not getting in. That's not how it works. Our everlasting dwelling place is one of worship. In Revelation 7, in verse 16, we learn that those who are there neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Conversely, that other place is prepared for the devil and his followers is hot. Now, in Revelation 7, in verse 17, it's written, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No tears. Thank God. Thank God. You know, when I was listening to the people yesterday, I welled up with emotion, thinking of how much suffering people go through here on earth. And we all have. We've all endured things in our lives that have brought us to tears. And to think that there's no more of that in that eternal place of rest is incredible to me. Especially when I think of all the unrest that we have on the earth. Our everlasting life will be free from all of the things that plague us here. It's incredible to me. God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That place of everlasting rest, that, that place of everlasting life will be a place of everlasting peace, joy, and love. We'll be praising God. We learned last week that He makes all things new. That's in Revelation 21.5. And then in Revelation 21.8, it's written that the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Our everlasting life is going to be free from all of those things. They won't be there. And I suspect God's going to erase the memory of those things. We won't even have a memory because if they can't be there, not even the memory of them can be there. And we can give thanks. Our everlasting life will be without sin. Without sin. None of us in our lives have ever lived in a time when there was no sin in the world. We know that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, and that reign will be a sin-free existence because the devil and his troop is going to be locked up. We don't know how to make that reckon. There's lots of people who have wrestled over this for many, many years, centuries. 
And there's no reconciling what God says in His Word because He doesn't give us all the details. And there's some that would say, I'm wrong about that. And I say, okay, well, praise God. Maybe I am. And I'll figure it out when I get there because I can't figure it out here, folks. I can't tell you how we have this eternal place of rest with God and then we also have this thousand-year reign with Christ here on earth. I can't tell you where the connection is. I just know that it's real because I trust Him and His Word. We learned what's written in the 13th chapter of Luke, which is probably the most frightening thing our Lord ever taught. He's going to say to some people who really believe that they were going to be there that they're not going to be there. They're going to get that message that says, no, sorry, you don't get in. My paraphrase. His words were something like, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They got it wrong. They did it wrong. And see, that's my concern about religion. Religion gets it wrong. We teach people to follow religion instead of that relationship with Almighty God through Christ. And we do all the, the motions. We go through all that stuff. We have the holidays. And we teach people how to do things differently than what Christ taught. And we're all His children if, in fact, we believe in Him and we follow what He taught. It's not about us. It's all about Him. And so often, religion makes it about us because we did all of those things. We can check them off, right? I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. Or we jump through all the hoops that religion puts out. You've got to go through this hoop. And I've been there, folks. I know. It's not about obeying Him. It's about obeying them, whoever they are, because they set the rules, and I've been in places where you weren't allowed to wear short sleeves, and women had to have long hair, and they had to wear dresses and no slacks, and I've been in places where you had to sit, and then you had to stand, and then you had to kneel, and then you had to sit, and you had to stand, and you had to kneel, and it, and it was all by cue. It was sort of like when we're singing up here. You know, we just got to kind of go through the things, and know, everybody's got to know everybody else is going to do it, and sometimes you're sitting there, and you're like, oh, everybody else is standing. I better stand up. Because you don't know the religion. And when you have a relationship with God, none of that matters. You know, we struggled this morning when we were practicing. And we said, it's not about us. It's all about Him. And He'll show up if we simply give it to Him. We let go of the outcome, and we just go with what we know we need to do. And He takes care of it. He takes care of it all. He takes care of every single person piece of it. If you want to be His disciple, Christ said to lay down your life, pick up that cross, which is the emblem or the symbol or the idea of sacrifice. That's what He said every day. It's that idea of sacrificing self every day. Let your life be a sacrifice unto God, because that's your reasonable service. It's written in Hebrews. And I know I don't have some of these up there, Sherry, sorry. We learned last week that what God promises to those who love Him is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. It is everlasting life that is unlike the life that we live on this earth. And we're going to look more at what it's like 
today. But it really is just going to be a single thing, love. That's what it all boils down to. Because if we love Him, we keep His commandments on this side of eternity. And when we get there, the love will envelop us and we will not do anything that's outside of His will. We're going to read from the 13th chapter of the first letter to Corinthians that we have recorded anyway. It may not be the first letter to the Corinthians. There's some idea from what he speaks is that there could have been another one, and we, that one's been lost. But the first letter that we have that we call 1 Corinthians, we're going to go to chapter 13. And if anybody wants to open there, it's found on page 1768. And I know this is not a traditional Thanksgiving message, folks. But I know it's what God wants us to hear. It's written there, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. There are some in religion circles today who think that you have to speak with another tongue or you have to speak in an angelic language or you're not a follower of Christ. They say that. That's not what His Word says. He says, if you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but you don't have love, you become nothing more than a piece of brass or a symbol. If John was upright, ask him to clang the symbol. That's what God says in His Word. That's all we are, without love. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and there are those who really emphasize prophecy in the church today, I'm not against people speaking what God gives them to speak. But so often, most recently especially, they've been wrong. And God's pointed out that they've been wrong. It's unfortunate that some people get it wrong. And God in His Word tells us, and I believe it's in Isaiah, He tells us that He's going to give them something wrong to say when they're false prophets. I don't get joy out of that, but I know if it happens, God let it happen so that we would know that they are not His prophets. When you open up this book and you look in that first part, which is the majority of the book, you find the prophets of God, okay? When you read the words of Christ, you hear the true prophet of God. But he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, and there are those who can have that gift in the church today, at least God's Word shows us that, and you understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though you have faith so that you could remove mountains, but if you have not love, you are nothing. This is what he says. And so often religion takes us into that place where we have all of these things, but we don't have love. We beat people up because they don't do it our way. And we got all these divisions in the body. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. I'm dying in the war, I've heard people say. And then they'll add some denomination label after that. That's not what he says, though. That's not what he says to do. He says, Follow Him. He says, obey Him. Do what He says, not what humans say. And, and here in this chapter, if we're going to give thanks to God, we need to know what to give thanks for. And the number one thing is love. Love. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. In other words, I give everything away. He says, though I give my body to be burned. In other words, you're sacrificed. 
They take you and they murder you. But you don't have love. It profits you nothing. What? Somebody's martyred and it doesn't mean anything because they were unloving? That's what he says. Okay. All right. That's, that's his word. Love suffers long. It's long-suffering and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. There's no pride involved. Is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity. What is iniquity? Anybody? Sin. And and what is sin? It's anything God says it is, right? Do we get to redefine it? Do we get to say, well, this is sin, but this isn't? Even though God said this is sin and this is sin, we can't say this is sin, but this isn't. Because God defines sin, not us. And what he defines as sin is iniquity if we live in it. See, iniquity goes beyond sin. It is an ongoing practice of sin. And this is why Jesus himself said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He doesn't want you to stay in your sin. He loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to bring you out of it. And that's the essence of love. See, I've heard people say in religion, Religious circles will say, God loves a sinner just the way they are. And I say, you're absolutely right. But you don't want to forget the part where he loves you too much to leave you there. Because Jesus himself said, go and sin no more. And to the blind man that he had healed, he said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And so he's telling all of his people, if you love me, keep my commandments. And one of his commandments is pick up your cross, follow him. Another commandment is follow him. Another commandment is go and sin no more. These are commandments of Christ. He gave them. And he says follow him. If you love him, you obey him. If you obey him, it's evidence of your love of him. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, for now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then, when we get there, we're going to see face to face, we're going to know with absolute certainty the, the total love of Almighty God. Now, he's talking about love, but why did he jump over to this? Because he's still talking about love. He's talking about the love of God. Now, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is anybody. Love. Love. The greatest of these is love. And he stresses this for God's people, because if we love him, we do what he wants us to do. This passage of Scripture is often referred to as the love chapter, and with good cause, because it does speak about love. 
It gives specific details about what love is, and some people memorize this, and others use it as the basis of wedding ceremonies, and I've been at wedding ceremonies where that's recited, and we talk about love. Love is statements have been used on calendars and coffee mugs and bumper stickers and even stationery. Love is patient and kind. Love is. Many other passages of Scripture bring understanding to bear upon the ideas that are presented in that passage. We're not going to look at them all. And when we ask that question about everlasting life, I think I've alluded to it already. What does that have to do with everlasting life? Let's read from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, Christ had said, if you love me, you obey me. And now he says, let us love one another. And this is John, the beloved disciple, in one of his epistles, the first epistle that he wrote, at least that we know that he wrote. He says, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the point. So it's the love of God that brings us everlasting life. It's not our works. It's the love of God that produced that ability for us to obey Him because it's by His grace that we're able to move in His direction. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And I'll get back to that word, propitiation. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us us, if we love one another. What are the marks of loving one another? <clears throat> Lots of them. Let's just get to that word, propitiation. It means appeasing wrath. There's, there's big definitions in the thesaurus. When you really boil it down, that's what it comes down to. Appeasing wrath, satisfying the judicial requirement for punishment. The wages of sin is death. So we, we, we were owed death. Christ paid that price for that judicial decision to be removed from us, and we no longer owe that debt because He paid it. Almighty God judicially accepted that payment because God is the judge. Christ laid Himself out as the payment. And God could have said, no, nope, not good enough. But for the fact that he was sinless, he was without sin, he was the spotless lamb who was sacrificed for our sin. And we can give thanks to God for that. And that is something to be thankful for every day of our lives, not just on that day that we say, let's make a turkey and a bunch of fixings and we'll have this holiday that we call Thanksgiving. Christ's sacrifice paid the price that we owed, and God judicially accepted His payment. God is love. 
God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us through the payment that Christ made on our behalf. So then it's right to say that love abides in us and upon us. You think about when you're baptized. You're put under the water, and you're lifted up. You're buried in the likeness of his death. You're raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And you have new life in Christ because of faith that you place in God through Christ and his sacrifice. It's right to say love abides in us and upon us. Think about being in a swimming pool or in a body of water, any type of body of water, whatever your favorite body of water is. I had some favorite swimming holes that I used to love to swim in. The water was cool. It was a little waterfall. Very nice place. Very serene. And being surrounded in that water, you are enveloped in it completely. But now think it one step further. If you breathe in that water, your body dies. But in the presence of God, you're breathing in love. You're surrounded with love, completely enveloped in love. There is nothing, no room for anything other than that. See, that's what it's like there. If we ask that question, what's it like in heaven, Pastor? You say, well, it's being in the presence of God. Yeah, but what's that like? It's like drowning in love, but you don't die. You breathe it. You live it. You exist in it. In His presence, we will be enveloped by love inside and out. We'll be wrapped and surrounded by patience. We'll be wrapped and surrounded by kindness. We'll be wrapped and surrounded with long-suffering. In other words, no impatience. Politeness. Looking out for others. There'll be no envy. No self-seeking. No boasting. No pride. No rudeness. No provocation. And no evil. At all. That's what it's like there. We'll be filled and surrounded by righteousness and truth. There's not going to be any impatience, no falsehood, no hatred, no meanness. We will have the rewards of faith and hope and patient endurance. You see, right now we are patiently enduring this race that's been set before us. The race is our lives. At the end of that race is everlasting life. We're going to live somewhere. Choice is ours where we go, and simply placing our faith in Christ and walking on His path is what He says. By loving Him, we are His people. What was once known in part will disappear. There'll be no more blank spaces. There'll be no more misunderstandings. There'll be no more, dare I say it, religion. There'll be no more religion. It'll be faith-based relationship with Almighty God. No religion. None of those trappings that get us all caught up in the things of this life. We will have total righteousness and truth. We will be set free from every limitation that restricts us here. Every limitation. 
Like God, we will bear all things. We will believe all things. We will hope all things. We will endure all things. God never fails. Never. And we've been led to believe that somehow when something doesn't go the way that we want it to go, that God is failing. It isn't God. We live in a fallen world. He says whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish. But God never fails. Enveloped in the fullness of love, when that which is perfect has come. That which is perfect. What is perfect? Anybody? Christ is perfect. When that which is perfect comes, we will be face to face with love. Face to face with our Creator, fully engulfed in love. And I struggled with, how do I describe this, Lord? He's showing me, as I'm putting the message together, of being completely baptized, completely covered, completely breathing in and out, only love. And I don't know how to put it into words except to put it into the words that I have so far. He showed me a vision of that as I was preparing the message. And I thought, what better place? Why would anybody want to be anywhere else? Why would we want to give this life Why would we want to live this life not loving Him? Why would we want to be caught up in religion? And I thank God that we're not here, folks. I really praise God for that. I do. I praise God. The religious trappings are gone, and we're all from different backgrounds. I don't even know where most of you have come from as far as your background. I've had a number of different backgrounds. Somebody used to call me a Roman Baptist. I used to go everywhere. I wanted to be in any place where God might be. I wanted to experience Him because one place, oh, we had a little piece over here, and in this place, a little piece over there, some places had some music. The whole floor would bounce like a drum. I mean, literally like a drum. I loved it. Bouncing up and down. People were bouncing and singing and praising God. Imagine what that's going to be like when we get to that place of eternal rest. The fullness of love. Wow. We will no longer be like children who lack comprehension, folks. We will fully comprehend what it is that God has revealed to us in His Word. And we'll have those aha moments, I think. Whoa, that's what that means. Wow. Thank you, Lord. We will stand under the fullness of God. The fullness of love. Blessed are the pure in heart, our Lord said, for they shall see God. What is it that makes a heart impure? Anybody? Sin. Yeah, simple. Three little little letters together. Sin brings impurities into the heart. Now listen, it's written in James, My beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? There we are, back to that again. We're heirs of the kingdom if, in fact, we love Him. And how did He say that is revealed? How is that observed? In our obedience. And if we want to get to that place of everlasting rest, that place of the fullness of love of God, being in the presence of God, submerged in the presence of God, and He wants us to obey Him. It's pretty simple. 
It's written in Revelation 21 in verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And what are we inheriting? Let's see. He who overcomes shall inherit some things. Is that what it says, Sherry? All things. All things. All. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We may have to overcome some things here. There's the way the world's going. It's not unlikely that some of us will be present whenever we have to overcome those things. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, it's written, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. And he's not talking about ten literal days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. In Revelation 2.11, it's written, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Overcoming is important. We overcome in love. Loving God, loving Christ, obeying. And now we have a tiny fraction of the knowledge of God. But there and then we'll know Him as intimately as He knows us. See, the biblical idea of knowing is this interconnected knowing. We're, We're one in the presence of God. I consider that all the sufferings of this present time, it's written in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, all the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It doesn't matter what happens here. It's nothing compared to what's going to be there. Behold, it's written in 1 John chapter 3, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. What love, love that God has bestowed on us. They were his children. He's taken these rebels and he's rounded us up through Christ and he's made us children. That is love. Think about it, okay? We had a woman to come through the food line yesterday and she's fighting for her grandchildren to come and live with her and the court said, can you take this other one too? Because nobody wants this child. What manner of love is that? These two are hers, but this one isn't. We weren't. And God said, come on, you're going to be my children too. That's love. And of course the woman said yes. She's struggling with it, but she said yes. And she's probably watching right now. She knows who I'm talking about. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Don't fear those things that you're about to suffer. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pursue peace, it's written in Hebrews chapter 12, with all people, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And holiness there is not that thing that we do, it's the thing that we are. If Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us and upon us, and we're obeying God, guess what? That's what he's talking about, obedience. He's not talking about wearing long sleeves or long dresses or long hair. He's talking about obeying God. He's not talking about religion. He's talking about relationship. Because with God, there is nothing unholy. 
be careful, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. I don't like when God's Word tells us that we can fall short of His grace, but He does say that, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. What is bitterness rooted in? Unforgiveness. I'll just tell you because time is running short here and I want to get it all through. Bitterness is rooted in unforgiveness. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them because you set yourself free. You set yourself free. You set yourself free from bitterness. You set yourself free from the trap that you have set for yourself by not forgiving. Lest, he goes on to say, there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Don't be like Esau. He says it's possible. Jesus said it's possible. Those who think they're getting in, they're going to stand there and he's going to say, nope, sorry, you're not getting in. You were workers of iniquity. And we have religion today that promotes sinning actively. We have religion today who accepts those who are willfully, deliberately going against what the Word of God teaches. And they say, God loves you sinners right where you are. Don't change. See, that's the part that's error. Don't change. Jesus said, go and sin no more. In Matthew chapter 13, it's written, and the righteous will shine forth as a sun, as the S-U-N, in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We don't shine if there's darkness, correct? No, we're going to be light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's written, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, all of us are dying. Right now, that's just a fact. We're not going to live forever here. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, he says our life is just a moment, it's just a whisper, it's just a, and it's gone. That's what his word says. Our light affliction, no matter how much affliction we're under, he says it's light affliction in comparison to the glory that we will experience when we're in the presence of God. Our light affliction... is working, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And all of us need to strengthen our spiritual discernment. And one of the ways that I see that is keeping us from doing that is all of the televised stuff, whether it be on telephones, televisions, tablets, It's keeping us from being able to visualize with our minds. We need to keep our thoughts on those things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do we want that eternal perspective? We need to think on those things that are eternal. In Romans chapter 5, it's written, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we justified by? Faith. And we have peace with God through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see, if we make an error, like today, the music team made some errors. You may not have noticed, but we know. And those are, in the biblical terms of sin, that's the lightest sin somebody can do. It's a misstep. It's a mistake. It's an error, not intentional. The worst kind is intentional, ongoing, not stopping, and deciding that it's your way, not God's way. 
That's the working of iniquity. Moving on. Not only that, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Oh, come on. Seriously? We glory in tribulations? That's what the Scripture says. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So anytime something happens to you in your life, praise God. Thank God. You see, that's what the true thankfulness is. Whenever those pilgrims were here doing what they were doing and setting up the things that they were setting up, they gave thanks to God even though they went through tribulation. A lot of people died on the ocean, never made it to the land. And there were a lot that died after they got here. And there were a lot that died after they got here, long after. Land has a lot of blood on it. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance builds character, and character builds hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If we love God, we obey Him. If we, if we love Christ, we obey Him, and that is observed in our obedience. My sheep hear my voice, he said, and I know them, and they follow me. Where are we following him to? Everlasting life, wherever he leads on this side of eternity, but most definitely on the other side into the presence of God. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, it's written in John chapter 12. Let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, it's written, when he had called the people to himself and his, with his disciples also. So it's other people and his disciples. So it's not just for his disciples. Some might argue, well, this was just for his disciples. No, it's not just for his disciples. He said to them, all of them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's for everybody. If you want to follow him, pick up that cross. In other words, deny yourself. Are you willing to follow where he leads? If so, then your everlasting life will be spent, enveloped in the love of God forever. And there shall be no night there. It's written in Revelation 22.5. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What is it like there? Complete peace. What is it like there? Complete joy. What is it like there? Total, total love. What is it like there? Rest. Bliss. That's what it's like there. Because in the presence of God, none of the other stuff is there. Not even the memory of it, I believe. The Scripture doesn't explicitly say that, but I believe if it can't be there, it won't even be within us. Nobody would choose the temporary things of this existence over the permanent, eternal love of God. Would they? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please root Your Word within our hearts. Thank You for giving me the ability to speak today, Lord. Thank You for enabling us and empowering us to hear Your Word. Seed it within our hearts, Lord, that we would be Your people walking along Your path, revealing our love for You as You have revealed Your love for us.
And let us always give thanks, Lord. Let us give thanks for that love with which you have loved us, that great love. You gave your only begotten Son that whoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. So I pray, Lord, not just for those who are present, but those who are hearing online and those who will hear later. I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.